0: Colossians chapter 4 this evening, Colossians 4, we've been studying through the book of Colossians together now for some time on uh, Wednesday evenings. We started off, uh, did a couple of Sunday mornings, and then we moved it to our uh, Wednesday evening Bible study. And over the last few weeks on Wednesdays, we've been looking at kind of these last few verses of the chapter, Colossians 4, as Paul kind of gives a brief uh, description or some, some information about some of the people who were part of his missionary team as well as some folks who were in the church uh, there in Colossae. And uh, we've kind of done just somewhat of a character sketch on these people and what does the Bible have to say about them. We've learned some lessons. And uh, so the last couple of weeks, by, just by nature of that type of a study, have been a little bit more, uh, I guess, devotional in thought. But tonight I want to just look at verses 15 through 18, the last four verses of the book of Colossians, and notice uh, some things that it says, and maybe you've read this and, and not really gathered or gleaned a whole lot from it in the past, but actually there's some really important stuff for us to, to glean from this tonight. So Colossians 4, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says here, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphis." And the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you. Cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord. That thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Now. I think I've admitted this to you before, but I'll do it again. There have been times in my life that when I've read through, especially the epistles of the New Testament, uh, in the early verses and in the last verses, you know, the introductions and the, the greetings and then kind of the closing remarks, I've kind of just glanced on through it thinking, okay, these are just formalities, there's nothing really here but I want you to know that God does not waste words, and every word of this book is inspired of God, and everything in here is here for our admonition and learning, the Bible says. And so we need to look into it and see what he has to say. And as he's wrapping up this letter, and he's making mention of certain individuals, he, he actually, uh, he, he teaches us some things here. I want you to notice verse 15, he says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. Now remember that this is a church that is in Colossae, the city of Colossae, and it's nearby to the city of Laodicea. And so apparently there was some fellowship taking place between these churches because when Paul sends this letter to the church at Colossae, he says, hey, greet the brethren also, which are in the next town over. And what that tells me something. It tells me that like-minded churches ought to be in fellowship with one another. And, and they were. Now, now... Interestingly, he's making reference to a church, the church at Laodicea, when we think of the church at Laodicea, when, when you think of that, well, okay, the, the church at Laodicea, do you have positive or negative thoughts and feelings about that church? Well, if you know your Bible, you probably have somewhat of negative uh, uh, feelings toward that church because it's actually the last church that's mentioned In the book of the Revelation in chapter 3, in the letters to the seven churches, they were the church that was known as being lukewarm. They were neither cold nor hot. And so God said, because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth uh, unless you repent. And he gave them an admonition to repent and get right. And so that's what we remember that church for. Oh, they were a, a lukewarm church. They were ...proud and arrogant about who they were. They said they were rich and increased with goods... ...and had need of nothing... And, and, ...and the Lord sharply rebuked them. But I want you to know that that was not always the case... ...for the church at Laodicea. They were a good Bible-believing church... ...at one point in time. I mean, notice he says here in verse 16... ...when this epistle is read among you... ...cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans... ...and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So in other words... This was a church that was receiving Scripture. They were receiving the Word of God. It was being given to them. This was a solid church at one point. And I think that's something that's really important for us to consider because even good churches eventually go bad. We hate to say that, but it's true. A church is a body, right? And a body has a life cycle, and even good churches eventually go bad. Let me let me give you an example. The church at Jerusalem, that was the first church, was started by Jesus during his earthly ministry. It was empowered on the day of Pentecost. They, they started with 12 uh, individuals plus Jesus. They, they grew to 120 after the resurrection. The day of Pentecost, they grew to 3,120 people. A couple of weeks later, 5,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the church. So it, it was a... It was the first church that was started there. And it was the sending agency, really, of all missions work that has ever taken place. Our church would not exist today were it not for the church at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. This was the institution that God chose to use to send forth the gospel. Where is the church at Jerusalem today? Nowhere to be found. We could look at other churches in the Bible. Maybe the church... At Antioch, the sending church of Barnabas and Saul or the Apostle Paul, uh, the church that was responsible for carrying out the gospel really to the Gentile world and all the known world at that time received the gospel as a result of the missionary efforts of the church at Antioch. Where is it today? or the churches to which these epistles were written, such as the church at Corinth, the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the church at Thessalonica, or the church at Philippi, or the church at Colossae, or even others that didn't receive epistles, but for instance, the church at Berea. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. These were good, Bible-believing, solid churches. Where are they today? Well, they're gone. They're gone. But we understand that the institution of the New Testament church has not failed. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And from the time of Christ until where we stand today, there have always been, and until the return of Christ, there will always be scriptural New Testament churches. And even through the dark ages, and even through a time where, uh, where, where there was not a whole lot of truth being proclaimed, there were still churches that stood for truth and stood strong. But not, there has not been one single individual church that has remained faithful from the time of Christ until now. In fact, you and I have known of churches, have we not, that once stood for truth, that once... Preach the word of God that once had the spirit of God working in them and through them... ...and today they either are no longer, they're no longer in existence... ...or they have departed from the faith. They've left the word of God and they've gone the way of the world. You've seen it and I've seen it. It's disheartening and it's discouraging, but it's just a reality, folks. Churches don't last forever... And this is the reason, I believe, it is absolutely vital and necessary that Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches are actively working to reproduce themselves. We are called not to just build a kingdom for ourselves here. We are called to take the gospel to the world. And part of that is planting other churches that will continue on. Think of this. I'm going to die one day. My life, however long it is that God chooses to give me, if He gives me 70 or 80 years, that's how long it will last. And then I will die unless Christ returns before then. But my influence doesn't have to die when I die, I can reach others with the gospel. I can proclaim truth. I can raise my children to know and love and fear and serve the Lord. And if if my life matters in the way that it should matter, if I'm fulfilling the calling that God has put upon my life, when I die, even though I won't be around anymore, the influence, the impact that my life makes on this world ought to continue. And the same is true for churches. Churches. So we even have to look at it like this. And folks, I understand. I believe Christ is coming very soon. I believe he's going to come in my lifetime. But I also want you to know that if the Lord does not return at some point in the future, maybe 100 years from now, maybe 200 years from now, if the Lord does not return before then, there will come a time where Mount Zion Baptist Church isn't what it used to be. I hate to say that, but it's just a reality. However, what should we be doing? We should be reproducing. We should be leaving an impact. We ought to be sending forth missionaries. We ought to be sending forth church planners and those who are going to carry forth the gospel. Because churches, even churches go bad. And that's what happened to the church at Laodicea. So here was uh, an epistle that was written to a Bible-believing church. And at that time, there was another Bible-believing church in the same area, in the same region. And Paul sends greetings to them. Now, I also want you to notice that he says here in verse 16, And when this epistle is read among you... So this is a letter, remember, from the Apostle Paul. He's written from Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome. He's writing to the church at Colossae. And he says, When you read this letter cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So Paul's written a letter to Colossae. I mentioned that I believe he also wrote the the epistle to the church at Ephesus at the same time. He wrote the, uh, the letter to Philemon, who was a member of this church. And so we have several epistles that would have been Written about the same time and delivered at the same time. And apparently there was another letter that was written to the church at Laodicea. Now this was not part of the scripture. This wasn't part. This isn't part of the canon. Apparently it wasn't inspired writings. But it was a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Laodicea. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Here's a, a letter that is addressed to the church at Colossae. To the Colossians. And when you're done reading this... Make sure to share a copy of it with the brethren over there. And make sure that they share a copy of theirs with you. You you need to exchange these things. Now, this is interesting if you will think about this for a moment. Because this letter was written very specifically to a church. Look at the first chapter and verse number 2. It says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. And then he talks about individuals. Remember, he talks about Epaphras, who was a man uh, who was there in the church. And then as he's closing out this letter in chapter 4, he's listing various individuals who are in the church. He's going to address the pastor of the church in just a moment, Archippus. This was a letter that was written specifically to the Colossian church. And yet, it was not only written for the benefit of the Colossian church. And this is really important for us to understand because when we interpret the scriptures, when we read the Bible, we need to recognize that the Bible was not written, at least most of the Bible, was not written to us. Did you know that? Most of the Bible was not written to us. There's a There's a little song that sometimes uh, we'll sing, uh, and you'll see, I think it's even in our hymnal, every promise in the book is mine. Every word, every page, every line. Did you know that's actually not accurate? God made promises, for instance, to the nation of Israel that he hasn't made to me. It it wasn't written to me when, when, when... this letter, this book, the book of Colossians was not written to me or to you or to Mount Zion Baptist Church. And the Bible was not all written to us. And we need to understand that when we, when, when we, when we read the Word of God, that this was written, there was, a, there was an author and there was an audience. But even though the Bible was not all written to us, it still was all written for our benefit. In other words, there. It is important to recognize when God said and gave certain promises, again, to the, to the nation of Israel, or he made a promise to, uh, to Abraham, or he made a promise to Joshua. You know, he said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Well, that was a tremendous promise, but you know, he hasn't necessarily told me that. He hasn't told me that he's going to be with me in the same way that he was with Moses. Now, here's what I do know. He is with me at all times because he's promised to give me his spirit. And when I got saved, I got the spirit of God. I'm thankful for that. And he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But that's a different promise than what he gave to Moses or to Joshua. Different promise. And so it's important to recognize that because we could misunderstand and misinterpret the scriptures if we think that they're all written to us directly. For instance... I don't go to the book of Leviticus and try to follow all of the laws and, uh, of, of cleansings and dietary laws and all of the things that God told his people that they were to do because those were specific laws for the nation of Israel. It was his covenant people, they were to follow that. And there were things that, that God told them that they were to do. And by the way, you don't follow those either. You, maybe you think you do. I know some people who think they do, but I have never met one person who actually follows all of the Old Testament law to the letter. Never. In fact, even those who tried failed, didn't they? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm thankful that we don't live tonight under the law of the Old Testament. It wasn't even written to us. We are New Testament Christians. However, even though it was not written to us, it's important for you and I to understand that it was still written for our benefit. And there are those out there, there's a very uh, well-known preacher out there today that has been very controversial in recent years because he's been teaching that that we need to, quote unquote, unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, that somehow that, You you know, for where we live today, the Old Testament really doesn't hold any value. I want you to know something. You won't understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. How are you going to understand the importance of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you... ...if you don't understand all of the Old Testament law that we could not live up to? In fact, the book of Galatians tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ... The, the, the Old Testament absolutely holds value for us today. It is authoritative in the sense that it is the Word of God, and we need to understand it as such. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, what does it tell us? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. By the way, when Paul wrote that, most of the New Testament was not all written yet. <laughs> or at least not all compiled together yet. And so when he made reference to the scriptures, oftentimes he was referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for for instruction in righteousness. Do you know that I've actually spent a lot of time, even just this week, in the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament? Why? Well, that wasn't written to you. No, it wasn't written to me, but it was written for me. And if I'm a man of the word, if I'm a man of the book, I better know the book. And so so there's value here. So why am I saying this? Because here's a perfect example. The book of Colossians, written to the Colossians, but even the people in Laodicea needed to hear it. It was written to the Colossians, but even the people here in St. Clair need to hear it. We need this. And so there was an exchange between them. Between these churches. And then I want you to notice that he gives a charge to this, this man named Archippus. This is a, verse 17. He says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Now, between this verse and a verse over in Philemon chapter 2, or verse 2 rather, there's only one chapter in Philemon... Philemon 2 says, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. We learn that this was a man who apparently uh, the, the, the church at Colossae was assembling in the house of Archippus. Why is that significant? Well, this was a common practice in New Testament times, in first century church life was they didn't necessarily have a church house like we have, uh, a designated building set aside where they would meet. They would meet often in people's homes. And you know whose home they often met in? The pastor's home. And so we get the idea here that this man, Archippus, at least he was the one who hosted the church in his house, but he's being singled out now as part of the church, and he's, he's giving him a charge. He says, say to him... Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. And I I think this is actually a charge to a pastor. I believe that Archippus here is is leading the church. He's the lead pastor of the church there in Colossae. And and some of the final words of this letter are directed to him. Everything else in there has been for the church as a whole. And now he looks at Archippus and he says, I want you to know this. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Now, there's a few things I want to point out to you about that. First of all, a calling to ministry is something that is received from God. It's not something that we simply aspire to. Notice it says that, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord. You know, I've known people who have kind of had at uh, you know a time in their life where they felt like, yeah, you know, that's something I could do. That's something I think I'd like to do. Maybe someday I'll be a pastor. Maybe someday I'll be an evangelist. Uh, I, I think I would enjoy uh, being a preacher. And I just want you to know, none of that constitutes a call to the ministry. And a man who is called ought to be called of God. He's not called by the pastor. He's not called by other men. You know, I have a, a couple of sons who believe that God has called them to preach. And and while I'm happy about that, I'm encouraged about that, I actually haven't spent much time really encouraging them in that. And that may seem strange to you, but here's the thing. I do not want my sons to enter the ministry because they felt like that's what dad wanted them to do. If they're going to go into the ministry, it better be because God's called them to be there. It's something that you don't just take upon yourself. It's something that God calls you to and places you in that ministry. I want to hold our place here, if you would, but go forward just a few pages to the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look at verse number uh, 12, if you would. And here Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul says, I didn't put myself into the ministry. God, Christ Jesus our Lord, he put me into the ministry. Another place, uh, if you go there with me, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And we'll read verse 15. Verses 15 and 16, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. What's he saying? When God saved me, he called me, he was the one that separated me from my mother's womb to preach him among the heathen. And he says, when, he, when God put that calling on me, he said, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't go and ask someone else what their opinion was. And in fact, he even says, I didn't even go up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. I didn't even go looking for the approval of other apostles. Because God called me. Now here's the thing, I believe if a man is called of God, that's going to be something that's evident and obvious in him that others around him will see. I believe, for instance, okay, we look at Acts chapter 13 and we see that the Holy Ghost said to the the church there at Antioch, he said, ...separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. God called them, but it was recognized by the church when they were sent out. And so it's not like this is done in a vacuum and others around won't see it. If a man is called of God, it's going to be evident... ...and, and his church family is going to know it and others are going to see it in him. But the idea is this, the calling comes from God. The appointing comes from God. And, and what Paul is saying here to Archippus in, Col- in Colossians chapter 1 is this ministry that he is to heed, it's not a ministry that was given to him by man. He says, you've received this ministry. What is that ministry? Well, what is the ministry of a pastor? Very briefly, I would like to show you what the Bible has to say about this. We're in, at the end of Colossians, but let's go back to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 4. First Timothy chapter 4 And notice he says, verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Then he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift which is in thee, or that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now look at verse number 16. Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So Paul is charging Timothy here... ...and he's saying, listen... ...God has given you a ministry... ...he's put you in a ministry... ...and he's he's charging him... ...he says, let no man despise thy youth... ...don't let other people look down on you... ...you're to be an example to them... ...he says, till I come, give attendance to reading... ...to exhortation, to doctrine... ...he says, take heed unto thyself... ...and to the doctrine... ...why? He said, for in doing this... ...thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee... ...in other words... You had better make sure that you're fulfilling the ministry God called you to because there are souls at stake. Hebrews tells us that pastors watch for the souls of the church. That's not something that we ought to take lightly. And by the way, young men, I know we have some here, young men who believe God has called you And I praise the Lord for that. And by the way, I pray for you continually. And I pray that the Lord will continue to call and to raise up men from from among our church to serve him in that capacity. But you better know this. This is serious business because souls are at stake. Eternal souls are at stake. James says, Be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. I am well aware that when I stand in judgment before the Lord, at the judgment seat of Christ, I will be more accountable than the average person because God entrusted me with His flock to lead, to feed, to care for. This is serious business. And so Paul tells to Timothy, Give attendance to, uh, pay attention to reading, study the word of God, to exhortation, to preaching, to doctrine, to teaching. Make sure that the people are being fed. Make sure that you are in the word of God because they need it and their souls are on the line. In Acts chapter 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders there, he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the, the, ...the church over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Take heed. That means pay attention. It means be keenly aware. Be on guard because this is serious business. Souls are at stake. Be faithful to the word of God. I, I love these, these words. He says that we're to, to take heed to doctrine. We're to give ourselves to reading, to exhortation... To doctrine, we're to continue in them. Why? Listen, th- this is the reason, and I know not everybody appreciates this. This is the reason that so much of my preaching is verse by verse through books of the Bible. Because I want to make sure that you are being fed the Word of God. You do not need my opinions. Now, I have some really good opinions. Just ask me. I do. My opinions are right. I remember having a conversation with my wife early on in our marriage. She said, you think you're always right. I said, well, of course I do. If I didn't think I was right, I'd change my mind. My opinions are good opinions. You don't need my opinion. God has not called me to lead... God has not called me to get a vision for this church and lead this church to follow my vision. God has called me to feed you the word of God. This is what you need. You need to hear from him. So Paul tells Timothy, get in the book. He told him in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, preach the word, preach the word. Now, this is a commandment, this is a charge to pastors, preachers, but even if you are not called to that type of ministry, if you are a child of God, you have been called to something. We are admonished in Ephesians 4 to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, Earlier in this book, we saw that we were were told to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And whether you've been called to be a pastor or preacher of the word of God, or whether you have been called to serve the Lord in some other type of career field, and whatever it is, whatever gifting God has put on your life, you are to serve Him and you are to heed it. Because God has given you a ministry... In which you are to fulfill it and obey Him. We're admonished in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Can I encourage you, Christian friend. To find God's purpose for your life. And live it with all your heart. With all your diligence. Because just like for me. If you're a child of God, the way that you live out your life and live out obedience to Christ in your life, know this, souls are at stake. You've been called to reach them through your witness and through your testimony. Are you taking heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord? Are you doing what God has called you to do And then, very quickly, I want to show you verse 18 of Colossians 4. He says, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. This is his closing. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. As he closes this out, he encourages them. He says, I'm asking. He's requesting that the Lord would give them grace. But he says to them, remember my bonds. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 3 tells us that we are to remember those that are bound as though we were bound with them. In other words, uh, those who've been persecuted for the faith, we are to identify with them. Now here's something that I think we often neglect and often fail in as 21st century Western Christians because... We don't really face persecution here, at least not yet. And so we almost forget on a day-to-day basis that our brothers and sisters around the world are facing very real persecution. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that are literally sitting in prison tonight in different parts of the world simply for owning a Bible simply for telling someone about Jesus. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who may be at this time, at this very moment, being tortured and put to death for their faith in Christ. And we are told to identify with them, to remember them. We ought to be praying for them. Uh, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to rejoice with those that rejoice and we're to weep with those that weep. In other words, we are to... Uh, recognize those who are going through affliction and walk through it with them. ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And here Paul is saying to this church at Colossae, hey, don't forget about me. As you go about your daily life and just normal everyday life there in Colossae, remember that there is a brother in Christ who's sitting in prison for preaching the gospel. Remember me. And can I just encourage all of us here to remember that there are those who are part of our family who will be in heaven with us one day that don't have it very easy. And it's not not easy to live out a life faithful to the Lord in places where it's illegal or you can face persecution. And maybe... We ought to pray for them more faithfully. We ought to consider them and remember them before the Lord. And maybe we ought to be a little bit more emboldened in our witness. Because the truth is, friend, we might get someone who mocks us. We might get someone who slams a door in our face. That's nothing compared to what we could be facing and others are. And as we remember them, may we be emboldened to say, let's take the opportunity that God has given to us and live out our calling with diligence and persistence so that others can be saved.